Matthew eleven twenty eight ver to thirty. <laughs> Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Start hearing me through the microphone. Oh, you can't hear me through the mic. Okay, good. That's helpful. Otherwise, you get to hear my loudness. <coughs> Not even my teachers like that. I can't imagine why. Uh, good morning, church. It's nice to see you here today. Um, I uh, just wanted to, uh, to, rem to, to start with a little description of what life with Jesus looks like. Okay? If you've been reading through the chronological Bible, we've been reading a lot of, uh, of, of the beginnings of Acts, uh, some, some of those experiences of the, of the disciples as various things happened to them, um, going now into Galatians, even Thessalonians, depending on which version, which one you're looking at. But I wanted to take you back to a, a story in Acts. The book of Acts chapter 12 tells this story. It starts out, <coughs> now remember, this is what, it this is what it's like to, to follow Jesus. It starts out with, and Herod became angry with the Christians and killed James. Finding out that this made him very popular politically, he decided to do the same to Peter. So he captured Peter and took him into prison. So far, how are you liking it? It happened. And he took him into prison and he placed Peter inside the cell. Now, Peter and John had proved to be escape masters. They had them both locked up before, and boom, they were gone. They went looking for them. They were gone. No one could figure out how what happened to them, and so they were careful. They put a retinue of soldiers, four by four soldiers, four soldiers, four squads of four soldiers. Got it? So this is a 16 soldiers to guard Peter, all right? So this is this in, in, in Roman and, uh, and even in, in <coughs> excuse me, in Greek uh, military parlance was considered one of the toughest things to battle. They would, they would up this to a, a, a group of 16 by 16 when they were going into war, and it was considered absolutely impossible to defeat. They would stand in ranks and face outward, so the square did not have a weak spot, so they could march through a crowd of enemies and be deadly on all sides. So this 4 by 4 was considered to be a really serious set of soldiers who could, in fact, take care of anything that came after one man. They went into the prison. They locked the gates behind them. They took Peter into the center of the prison, and they chained him between two soldiers. Are they serious about hanging on to this guy? Yeah, he's got a chain on each arm, chained from him to a couple of soldiers. It's night. It gets time to go to bed. Passover has come and gone. He's been there for about a week. The next day is execution day for Peter, and Peter knows it. You know what the Bible says is happening to Peter that night? Would you be up all night praying? I think I might too. You know what Peter does? The Bible says, and Peter was chained between two guards, and he slept. 
He's facing execution the next day. He's chained between two guards in the center of the prison, and he's out. I'll give you another picture. It goes, it goes way back. It's, it's pre-Christ. It goes back to when Israel is in Babylonian captivity, and it's just getting started. Daniel's been captive. Daniel's been treated some pretty rough ways, but we won't get into that until we study Daniel. And Daniel is, is finding out that there's been a death decree to all the wise men. He's one of the wise men. <clears throat> and he's like, man, what's going on with that? He finds out that some of the king has had a dream. Nobody's able to interpret it. And he said, fine, kill them all. We'll start fresh in the morning. So Daniel is facing a death decree. He gets permission from the king to try to understand the dream and tell him what the dream is. And he goes and he prays. And, and after a little bit of prayer with his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, they, they, they wake, they, 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 they pray a little bit. Daniel's concerned, or Daniel's sure that he knows what the Lord wants to do. And so what do they do with this facing death the next day, facing the king the next day? They sleep. There, now, no message has been given to Daniel yet. He hasn't learned yet, but he's sure God will tell him. So he goes to sleep, and God tells him while he's sleeping. Facing death, Daniel sleeps. Facing death, Peter sleeps. They have learned to face whatever comes in the confidence that God knows what he's doing. They've learned to face whatever comes in the confidence that God knows It's a peace that doesn't belong in the place where it's found. When we read these stories, and the reason these stories are written down and told to us is because everybody who saw the story said, oh, that's weird. He's asleep. What? Really? He slept? You know, I'm wondering if Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego was the one who was up and knew Daniel was sleeping. Somebody knew because they tell the story later. If Daniel's sleeping, he doesn't know. You know, I'm going to go to bed. I'm good. Out. When you're resting in the arms of Jesus, facing your temporal death is not that big a deal. At least that's the way it seems to be. Today we find ourselves in the book of Matthew. As we, uh, as we get into this passage, we, you heard Zach read about learning of the unforced rhythms of grace. Anything like that phrase? That's from the Message Bible when it's talking about what it means to learn to follow Jesus and learn to discover that peace that only comes from Him. It's about the unforced rhythms of grace. I like the way that sounds. It fits in with some other things we've talked about. Remember, we've talked about how God establishes rhythms in our life, how we walk through from, from Sabbath to Sabbath, there's a rhythm to it. And from Sabbath to Sabbath, we show up, we fellowship, we stand with people who stand with us. And there's a rhythm to it. It becomes part of who we are. It becomes part of our identity. It's just what we do. This is our thing. This is the rhythm. We get up in the morning and we, we reach out to God and we pray and we study the word and there's a rhythm to it. There's a cycle to it. We're coming up on Thanksgiving. We're, we're not, we don't follow the Jewish calendar, but we have the same kind of things in our calendar. There's this Thanksgiving thing. It comes around every year and we make gluttons of ourselves. But if we really pay attention, we're supposed to stop. And we're supposed to look back over the year that was passed, good, bad, or indifferent, and be thankful about it. Finding things to be thankful for. Remembering that as we face this Thanksgiving, no matter what, our thing, what, what went on this year, there are things to be thankful for. And there becomes rhythm to it. 
So we have a weekly rhythm, we have a daily rhythm, we have an annual rhythm that rhythms to our life. Learning one-fourth rhythm of grace. One-fourth rhythm of grace. Unforced means you're natural to it. This isn't like, you know, seven, four times where you're kind of going, what is this? Why didn't they just say, what is that? how is that the same as, I don't know. And you're, it, No, you're trying to part, follow the song and you can't follow. This is unforced rhythm. Unforced rhythm. Would you pray with me as we talk about this this morning? Father, I ask that as we, as we think of ourselves in the prison of Peter, Think of ourselves as our pillars or the heads on our pillar of bronze. I pray that you would help us to understand that grace never adjusts our best or selective and endures hardest and difficult things. When you were not in the midst of it, when you were abandoned, time we pray that you would be right beside us pouring out your Holy Spirit on us taking control of the future that you intend for us in Jesus name as we start out at the beginning of this story if you're really if you're familiar with Matthew chapter 11 if you haven't you kind of if you were here last week Pastor Tim sort of set it up sort of started this discussion Matthew 11 he talked about it being expectant or having expectancy, and he talked about the difference that that expecting things from God is almost trying to twist God onto your own page, trying to force God into your own rhythm, trying to make God establish himself with the rhythm of your life. This is the rhythm of my life, God. You do with, you go with me. And God says, no, no, it's going to be much better if you learn to walk in the rhythm with me, if you learn to step where I step, go where I go, dance with me, walking through life in step with me. Paul, Peter, and Tim actually talked last week about getting out of that rhythm, expecting things from God. We expect God to do this, and we expect him to do it on our timetable. We expect him to do what we want done in the way we want it done. And it always leads to disappointment. But if you live in expectancy, you're just watching to see what God does. That's the difference. That's a huge difference. It's a small change of word, but it's a huge difference. If you can live in expectancy of the next cool thing that God is going to do, you will live an exciting life. Because you're always sitting there waiting to see what God's going to do next. It's that it's the surprise that you're expecting, but it's the surprise that you never really know. It's just that living your heart full of the I know God's going to be up to something here. I can feel that God's going to do something. I know my God. He's going to step into this situation. It's living with expectancy, but not with a list that God has to check. And so as we find ourselves in this passage, as we start to work our way through, John's disciples have come saying, is this you're not what we expected? And Jesus begins to talk about John. He says, John is a great man. In fact, John is the greatest prophet from 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 ever before to now. He is the greatest prophet of all time. And if you could understand it, if you could hear me, if you could realize what you were looking at, if your eyes were clear, your ears were open, you would know that he was the Elijah that was spoken of by the prophets of the past. The one who would go before the Messiah and prepare the way. And then he says, however, 
You guys just can't hear. You just can't see. You just can't understand. And then he describes them as children. He said, it's a whole generation of children. These children who sit on the side and they play little games and they blow tunes. And they try to get their friends to do what they're little, they're piping on their little tune. And they said, he said, it's like children playing a game in the public square. They complain to their friends. We played the wedding songs and you didn't dance. We played a funeral song and you didn't mourn. He said, we played these songs and you didn't change your behavior. You know, we, we wanted you to change. We, listen, here's how it works. We play the tune, you look mournful. We play the tune, you dance and be happy. We play the tune, you look mournful. You play the, and you're supposed to react to us. We are expecting you to behave in the way that we want you to. And they're applying this to God. You see, Jesus had shown up, and Jesus wasn't the guy they were expecting. They were expecting a stout military guy who would come in, take over the world, and deal with the Romans. And here they got this kind of, you know, sweet Jesus, meek and mild guy, and they were just not up for that. He's going around healing people. One of the last miracles Jesus does is the healing of the ear of his adversary. Because that's who he is. And it doesn't fit their model. What's your model? What's the model you have for Jesus? Does he fit? Does he stick out on the edges sometimes? You read something in the scripture. This is one of the passages where Jesus kind of sticks out on the edge for me. Because I do have this picture of a, of a gracious, loving, caring Christ. And yet there's sometimes when he sticks out on the edge. He doesn't stay within my plan. I wish he would. It'd make it a lot easier on me. He said, we're like children. This generation is like children. They whistle and expect God to dance to their tune. Has it changed much? Pastor Tim said, we expect things from God. We expect him to dance to our tune. We expect him to use the moves we want and the timing that we want. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Dance with me. In the rhythms that I'm laying out for you. And you start stepping on the toes. And they'll come. Come on. He continues. For John didn't spend time eating and drinking. You said he's possessed by a demon. Here's John who comes. You remember John's? He's out there in camel hair. He's eating bugs or carob. Either one. You realize they, they, it's one of the terms for the carob tree, you know. And wild honey, which also has bugs in it. So either way he gets bugs. He's just weird. The dude wears clothes made out of camel hair. You think wool is itchy? This is woven from little tiny hairs that just stick in you like tiny spikes. His, all of his clothes. So he wears this hair coat that's always uncomfortable, and he eats weird food, and he's always living out in the boondocks. He's got probably some long, scary-looking hair and a big old beard. He looks like a prophet, but he's weird, and he's always out there on the edge of society, and he's out there on the edge of the world, and... People have to go find him because he's not coming into town. No, nobody wants to see John the Baptist in town. John lived a very austere life, separated from everyone. And you said, he's a, a, he's a weird dude. He's crazy. He's possessed, possessed by a demon. There's something wrong with that guy. 
<laughs> he ate carob, for goodness sakes. There were three carob lovers in the building. I heard them. Bless you. The Son of Man, on the other hand, who's the Son of Man? Jesus. The Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say, he's a glutton and a drunkard, and he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Do you realize calling you a friend of tax collector was like, that was like the biggest just kick for a Jew. They, they, to call you a, a friend of a tax collector was just like, it was one of the lowest things they could say about you. It was like a big curse word for you. You know, one of the big four-letter curse words thrown at you. It was a bad thing for them to say to him. You say he's a friend of tax collectors. Look, John was out on the edge, not friend of anybody, just this guy out there doing his thing, eating his locusts and wild honey, wearing camel all the time, and you said, oh, he's weird, and then I come along and I hang out with you guys, I go to your parties, I do all these things with you, and you say, oh, well, he's a wine-bibber and a drunkard. Nobody's happy. They're like children. They whistle a tune, and they say, hey, we would like you to dance happily now. And then they whistle a different tune, and they say, now you should mourn. Make up your mind. Quit waffling back and forth. You can't figure out who you want. These both came representing God, and you rejected both of them, even though they were on opposite ends of the spectrum. You get the picture? Does he seem like sweet, mild, grace-filled, loving Jesus to us? If he feels that way to you so far, it's going to get harder. He says it last in this description. He said, look, wisdom is judged by appearance. You know the phrase, it's, the, it's an English phrase mostly. We steal it from them because we don't know what else to say. We steal phrases from lots of other people. The proof of the pudding is what? In the eating. Okay, if you're below 30, let me teach you a phrase. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. Repeat it after me. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. And by the way, that pudding does not come in a little cup where you peel off the top. This is something someone made from scratch on top of the stove who knew what they were doing. And when it was all done, to see whether or not it was good, you had to taste it. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. Jesus says, look, wisdom is known by our results. Look, it will show you what's going to happen is going to be clear to you. And what had Jesus been doing? Going around healing, doing miracles, and caring for people all over the country. What had John been doing? John had been calling people into repentance, calling them to follow God more, act more carefully. Were the works of their lives demonstrating that they were people of God? Okay, I got one yes. The rest of you could just nod. That would be helpful. Okay. Yeah, of course it was. The, the proof of the pudding was in the eating. The proof of their wisdom, the proof of their connection with God was in the facts. You could see them for yourselves. That's why he's saying, what's wrong with you guys? You don't seem to get it. You're constantly wanting something that's not there in spite of the fact that is there. Is it that much different? Is it that much different from us? You ever tried witnessing to a friend who was determined to find a loophole in your witness? Don't they always find a loophole? Well, okay, well, if Jesus is so nice, well, what about this? Well, the kind 
you said Jesus is sex, so then you choose a free will, and some people do stupid things. Well, yeah, but if he was really that nice, he wouldn't let stupid people do stupid things. Well, wait, you missed something I said. He is so nice, he's leaving you with free will so that you actually get to do stupid things. Well, but I don't want to do stupid things. Well, but would you like to not be have free will? They're always going to find a loophole. They're always going to find a way to keep out of the conversation, to move away from the logical, simple, Jesus loves you. That's all I got to say. That's all I really want to say here. You don't have to fight with me about that. That's cool. Keep whistling a tune and saying, God, I want you to dance to my tune. I want you to dance to my tune. Jesus goes on. It's interesting what happens next, because this is where I start to get, oh, man. Wish you hadn't said that, Jesus. I told all my friends you were a nice guy. And then you go with the woe to you, woe to you, woe. I just, it's like, oh. Because I want everything Jesus does to be sweet, don't you? I wonder, because you all look at me like I don't agree with you at all. I hope that's not true. I want Jesus to say only sweet, nice things, and then we come up to this. I, I, I gave you the New Living Translation because I just couldn't deal with the woes of the King James. Because it starts out with, woe to you, Chorazin and Bethsaida. So I gave you, what sorrow awaits you? Because I needed that. I'm sorry. As I'm blowing my tune, wanting Jesus to dance the way I want him to dance. What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida? Two little towns uh, near the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee. Two small towns near the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee. Three of Jesus' disciples are from Bethsaida. Chorazin is a little town. Um, some of you went to, went to Israel with us. Remember the town that was, it was all made of black, hard rock, volcanic rock. Remember that town? That was Chorazin. It had the arches still in place, some of you may remember. It had the, the seat where the, uh, where the rabbi would sit, raised up high in the back, about four feet off the ground, so he could be above everybody as they came in. He says, woe to you. What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida? For if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, the people would have repented of their sins long ago. He said, guys, I did I, so many great things happened there. People were raised from the dead. Children were healed. Adults were healed. Blind men saw. You, got, you, you were personal witnesses to all of this, and still you're staying where you are. Still you refuse to follow. Tyre and Sidon would do better than you. He continues. And you people of Capernaum. What do you know about Capernaum? This is the place where Jesus stayed. This is the place where Jesus would go night after night to Peter's house. Remember, they, they even in one place in, in the scriptures called this Jesus town. Even though he was born in Nazareth, sort of his borrowed town, he couch surfaces at, surfaces at Peter's house, but he's there a lot. He's healed so many people in, in Capernaum. There are people wandering around, walking on both legs, saying, he did this to me. People who are seeing, saying, I can see because of him. There's a woman who has had a 12-year issue of blood who's saying, no more after Jesus. There's a man whose little girl died who is saying, my little girl's alive because of Jesus, and the town is unrepentant. Now, you and I say, you know, I'd love to live in Bible times to see Jesus do all these miracles. Really? Because what you know, you are responsible for a reaction to. To see the hand of Jesus do these kinds of things puts you in an interesting place. 
It kind of backs you into a decision corner. You sure you want to live in the time of Jesus? Because he's saying, look, guys, if what was done in you was done in Sodom, it would still be here. Tyre and Sidon, in the north on the sea, Sodom in the east, down by the Dead Sea, they would both repent of the Sabbath of Jesus. And Jesus says, I tell you, even Sodom will be better off after it's over. Yeah, I want the sweet Jesus. This is not that sweet. (laughs) This is like, hey, get this right. Figure this out. Come on, your, your eternity is at risk here. Don't let this get away from you. The miracles you saw were real. The behaviors of John were real. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. You've seen it. You've touched the people. You've talked to the people yourself. Get on with it. Get in the right stream. Repent and follow after me. He's laying it out as hard as he can, as straight as he can. You know, there are two ways to lead the donkey. The carrot. And if you have a particularly difficult donkey, the stick. Now let me ask you a question. Would you take the stick if you knew you would be saved by the stick? If you had to take the stick to assure your eternal life, would you take the stick? Would you say, God, whatever it takes, including the stick. Have you ever prayed that? Has anybody ever prayed that? Whatever it takes to get me in, Lord, even the stick, I'm okay with it. The carrot, we like the carrot. Chasing after good things, we like that. But some of us are so hard-headed. Some of us are German, and we need a stick. Took a minute for you uh, non-Germans to catch that. Man, it's going to be better off with Sodom and Tyre. And he says, hold a minute, look at you guys, because you've seen. Oh, yeah. You've been blessed Imagine the audience now. How's the audience feeling? Because all these things happen to people, right? All, there are people listening to these things. How are you feeling about this? Are you a little angsty about this? Is there a little, mm, little not? You know, imagine you are those people there. Maybe you're from Chorazin. Maybe you're from Capernaum. And he says, heaven forbid. Whoa, come on, you guys. You people in Capernaum. If any other person in the human race saw what you saw, they'd be lining up for church. If you're in Capernaum, suddenly your shoes look dirty. You're dusting them off in the back of your legs. Trying to not say anything, lest somebody recognize that that would be an accent. Come to the conclusion, maybe you are one of those. whole audience is right there feeling kind of stripped. We got to love Jesus because even after the stick, he comes back to you. Even after something tough happens, he reaches back to you. He 
verse has this weird sort of interrupting prayer. Right in the middle of this sort of diatribe, breaks into prayer. And he starts talking to God about something that seems unrelated. Thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You've concealed your ways from sophisticates and know-it-alls. probably have more education than most of the people in this passage I just read. You have more experience with information from around the world than most of the people in this room. You've concealed this from these people who have enough information to really make a decision. You've concealed this from those who consider themselves too sophisticated too smart to follow after sound prophets and teachers. You've concealed it from them. But you've dispelled any clue as to where he might be. Man. He's saying, you know who's having trouble in in Bethsaida? In Capernaum? Pharisees? The people who are most deeply who have the most information about their Savior missing Jesus. And he starts and he's cracking up. He says this weird stuff. This transition is it's not smooth. In the middle of judgment, you'll grow better for Tyre and Sidon than for you guys. He starts praying. Lord, thank you for your, thank you for letting ordinary people understand this because, man, these, these know-it-alls and these, these, these preachers and teachers of church, they don't seem to get it. They don't seem to get it at all. Thank you that, thank you that the ordinary people get it. No one truly knows the Father except for Son chooses to reveal it. And some of you people are so smart, you've been pursuing God on your own, and I've been trying to show him to you all along. Some of you are so smart, you missed me in your search for God. He tells the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life, but these are the things that taught you about me. This is one of those places where Jesus gets out of my package. My sweet, mild, kind language, Jesus all the time. He's out. He's, he's torn the top off. He's climbed out of the box, and he's ranting now. Praise God he doesn't stop. The next thing he says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Are you tired, worn out, and burned out on religion? Ho! Don't drop your water. Come to me.
consider what was going on in the time, the poor and the uneducated were constantly being told what God didn't like about them by people who claimed to know God. Now imagine an entire religious organization where people's job it is, it's just to go around and say, well, okay, uh, sir, would you please stand up? God doesn't like your hair. Okay. Sorry. Uh, would you stand up also? Okay. Do that. There, literally, there are people going around telling other people. Thank you. There are people going around telling other people what, what God likes about them and what God dislikes about them. Hey, you, that, uh, that, that, those glasses? No, those don't work. Sorry. You need glasses with frames on them. Regular people have frames around their eyes. That's what, see, this, see this, look like, do that. Or more importantly, they would say, hey, uh, kid, that's the wrong tie. Dallas Cowboys, come on. Yeah, America's not Jesus. He said it was America's team. You know Jesus is a 49er fan, right? No, nobody's a Raiders fan anymore. They're going to Las Vegas. But that's what people did. They went around from person to person telling them what God didn't like about them. It was their profession. It was what they thought God wanted them to do. There were experts in what you were doing wrong. They called them scribes. Their job was to go around and tell people what they were doing wrong. Because if we could just get the entire group for one day to get it right, the Messiah would come. That was what they believed. If we could get everybody just to do it right one time, right haircuts, right behavior, right tie, right glasses, if we could just get them all to do everything right one time, one stinking day, Jesus would come. Jesus is standing there going, I'm not over to you. I kind of like the kid's tie. Had a star on it after that. Jesus says, if you're tired and worn out by what these guys are doing, come to me. That's how this passage closes. All these woes. Starts with an introduction about John. The expectancy that there's, there's people who, who are coming to Jesus. And Jesus is simply saying, what do you see? The things I'm doing will testify for themselves. And then he turns that same statement on these other cities where all these magnificent things have been done. And he says, look, guys, come on. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. The greatest opportunity of your life, eternal life, is right here. It's it within your grasp. Don't miss it. Now, can I ask, how are you doing? Are you missing it? Has so many, have so many things crept into your life already that ke- are keeping you from seeing it? Has religion become just a, a sort of a hobby because Jesus says, no, it's not a hobby, it's, 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 it's you. It identifies all of you from this point forward. All of you. Come to me, all of you who are weary and are, ca- are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Does that sound restful to you, J.B.? Here, get yourself in this yoke and start pulling the plow. It's a little counterintuitive, but it did say my yoke. (laughs) It's all the yoke's on me. Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you, 
and you will find rest for your soul. He says, get in the harness with me. Let me teach you. Think about it. We've, we've been here before. It wasn't in Matthew here, but we've been here before. We talked about what it means to be yoked together with Jesus. Remember? Remember what it's like to be yoked together for, with Jesus? Jesus is God. All power in heaven and earth is his. The absolute replication of God in human flesh. To be yoked together with Jesus is to get in the harness and pull whatever load is yours with his authority. Huh. Remember when you have a new ox who's trying to figure out the rope? You put him with the big, old, strong ox. You yoke the two of them together. And the big ox leans into the yoke and everything starts moving, including the little ox. And he just starts moving, moving. And the little ox after a while is like, okay, okay, I get it, I get it, we're going this way. And he just starts pulling. And he gets to the end of the row. He makes a right turn into the little ox who's like, okay, uh, yeah, 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 we're going now this way. And he just keeps walking. And the big ox just leans into the harness and leans into that yoke. And he's plowing things up, big rocks, big boulders, last year's, uh, last year's corn is all being turned over. And they get all the way down to the end of the row. And the big ox turns again. And the little ox is like, yeah, yeah, I get it. I'm following you. And drags them around the next corner. And they head down. And after a while, maybe it takes all day, maybe it takes all week. But after a while, the little ox learns to walk rhythm with the big ox. Get yourself yoked together with me and you will find rest for your soul. Pull yourself into the same harness I'm pulling and it will be a lot easier for you. My yoke is easy compared to what you're trying to do. My yoke is easy compared to being yoked by all your fears and your doubts. My yoke is easy compared to being yoked to your secular mindset. My yoke is easy compared to being yoked together with trying to make it on your own. My yoke is easy compared to everything else. You still have a yoke. And there still is a burden. But I'm helping you. Yoke yourself together with me. Let me teach you. This is why Peter can lay there having a nice night's rest while being chained to two guards because he has rest for his soul. What happens to my body isn't that big a deal because my eternity is in the hands of Jesus and I trust Jesus. So, hey guys, uh, you probably ought to just lay down because I'm just going to sleep. Just relax. There's like 14 other guys in here. No, we can't do that, Peter. Lay down. Okay. James has just been murdered by Herod. 
James is one of Peter's oldest friends. They were boyhood friends. They were partners in the fishing fleet. They had joined from the fishing fleet into the disciple fleet. They had gone (coughs) all over the country on adventures with Jesus. They had been tight. He's just been killed. Peter's next. And Peter's like, I'm okay. I'm okay for now. says to the rest of the boats that's the last one aren't they the religious leaders you have they've made it a a practice of just beating him but he's going to do I will teach the rest that's what I'll do my yoke is easy the burden I give you is light with me, come with me, and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythm of grace. Because when you try to turn the wrong direction in the yoke, I'll help you, I'll correct you. When you stumble off in the wrong direction and make a mistake, it's okay. I'm still yoked together with you. I'll, I'll take care of it. When you think you should go one way and I take you in another direction, it's all right because you're yoked together with me. You've surrendered your life and you're yoked together with me and I will take care of you. When your life seems that it's at the end of its path, when you think there's no more ahead of you, it's okay. I've got this. Come with me. Yoke yourself together with me because I have you covered. My grace covers you while you figure out the path to walk. My grace covers you while you pick up the rhythm of what we're doing. My grace covers you on the way to a transformational, victorious life. My grace covers you for the days that you really blow it and for the days when you really get it. Because even on the days when you really get it, you may be proud of yourself, but you are still not fully getting it. best day and your worst day. This is the rhythm. Learn the unforced rhythm of grace. The unforced rhythm of grace. From day to day, I I haunt myself with Jesus. And he takes me to the end of the rock and then you turn him into the rock in another direction. And it's okay. Because I'm not trying to do this on my own anymore. I'm just doing it with Jesus. And I, I just recognize when he turns, I turn. When he shifts his way to his right foot, I shift. Left foot, I shift. Right foot, I shift. And pretty soon, I'm in this beautiful, lifelong dance with Jesus that takes me places I've never imagined I could be. Takes me places spiritually I've never imagined that I could reach. Takes me places personally that I never would have taken myself. Teaches me things that I didn't think I could ever learn. Because I've yoked myself together with Jesus. And I'm really sure day is over, he'll get me there. Let's pray. Father, we've seen